In December 2022, two Jerseymen set off to take part in the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, known as the world's toughest row. The challenge would take them across the width of the Atlantic Ocean from the Canary Islands to Antigua, a journey of 3,000 miles which would take almost eight weeks. In this episode of Bailiwick Podcasts, I, Tom Innes, am joined by Pete Wright and Steve Hayes, the two members of Dragonfish Row, fresh off the oars and still fundraising for the Durrell Wildlife Conservation Trust and Macmillan Cancer Support. We discuss the pair's preparations for their gruelling race across the Atlantic, the trials and tribulations of life on the high seas, and what it felt like to finally step onto dry land in sunny Antigua. So, Steve, we were literally just saying, Pete was about two minutes ahead of you, that um, um, that he, he's, you know, been back nearly three weeks now, two weeks back. How's it, um, how's it been, gents, um, uh, getting back to, well, being on dry land, first of all, in Antigua, and then back in, at home in Jersey? Is it, is it, is it just a completely freaky change of scenery, or have you adjusted quite well? Yeah, I mean, I think we've adjusted perfectly well. I can only speak for me, but there was no um, no big shocks or surprises. I think we were looking forward to hitting land and, uh, you know, sort of arriving in Antigua was great. And then we both had a few days there. I had a bit longer, but, um, you know, we had a nice little holiday in the Caribbean before coming back to the UK. And uh, sleeping, does that add, we, you know, that, that, that those next few nights in Antigua and then, um, well, I suppose a tiny bit of jet lag maybe coming back here but you he, he, he took back into that that normal routine because what, what what was the longest that you would, would have slept on while you were at sea uh, i would say about an hour and a half two hours at a time so combined we were probably getting i don't know about four four to five hours sleep per day but it, you know but that so that was mainly kind of little intervals in the evening and um, and then back uh, once you're on dry land, how did, were you, was it was it four to five hours to begin with, or how did that? No, one? it didn't take long to adjust at all. Really, a few sort of you know maybe two or three broken night sleeps of uh, you know getting used to it and getting used to being in a bed again, um, but no more than than two or three days, and then I was back to normal. I sleep pretty well anyway. Mm. Then you're yeah. the same, Pete. Yeah, I mean, I I think the first night I eventually got back to the apartment and um, just laid in bed, couldn't sleep. Uh, but I just kept thinking, this is a whole lot better than being on a tiny boat and having to uh, walk to a bucket or something like that. So uh, I, I took the positives and just enjoyed broken sleep for a little bit longer. And that um, I know you you had um, uh, uh, quite a few family out there. Some you know lo- loved ones were were, were back here, um, and you, you, it was a few days before you could catch up with them. But that 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 first night um, uh, there, I mean, it was it was um, it was the early hours by the time you were actually off the off the boat uh, in in Antigua. Was that um, still time for for beers and food and everything like that? How, how what 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 happened on that uh, those first few hours? Yeah, so I mean, as soon as we finished, we came off the boat and there was a, a bit of a sort of a crowd there. So we were interviewed. Uh, they dispersed quite quickly and went back to their beds because it was sort of half 12 in the morning. Um, and then we had a quick burger, quick beer, and then went our separate ways. Pete went back to his hotel uh, with his dad and I went back to my hotel with my wife, where I then met my wife was there and my uh, sister-in-law and my two-year-old daughter. 
So I stayed up until about three in the morning, had a few glasses of rum and uh, regaled the ladies with the stories of the high seas and then uh, promptly passed So they out. were probably asleep before you were, is that Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you only know me ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, I uh, bored them a little bit and uh, had a few glasses of rum and fell asleep. And uh, but Pete, what about was it, yeah, you, I, you I, doing the same treatment on your old man? Same thing with his dad. I, I, yeah, I, I, went, I went back. I uh, went back with my dad. Um, had a couple of beers, kind of outside with him, um, and then I'd asked him to get me a, a big tub of chocolate ice cream. So I just uh, made a big dent in that, and then I uh, passed out. That was in a sort of um, uh, rummy, ice creamy, knackered sort of coma, absolutely, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, ice cream coma. It was quite strange, actually. When we um, when I got back, ours wasn't really a hotel. It was almost like a, an apartment type thing. But outside on the terrace, it was a f- uh, sort of open bar, that, you know, honesty bar, if you like. And um, it was a freezer there with ice. So I went to get some ice for the uh, for the rum. And that was the first time I'd felt cold for two months. Just felt that temperature sensation, which was really, really weird. Mm. I hadn't realised I'd missed it and hadn't realised I hadn't had it. And it was, you know, everything that we had was... 28 degrees whether that was to eat or to drink or, or you know you were just constantly warm mm. being cooked by the sun you'd get in the sea that was warm as well so everything was warm we'd never felt cold for that couple of months and that, that was even at the outset from um i, I wasn't really studying the, the the weather in the canary islands in december that was that's all pr- pr- yeah. oh, right okay yeah, so you did it wasn't mid- like 20s high 20s so okay it's, uh, you know I, I opened the freezer door and this sort of cold cloud came out and i was like wow and felt ice. Mm. <laughs> it was quite strange. And then it went in the glass of rum. And you, <laughs> and you mentioned being back. Um, uh, yeah, being back in Jersey, and I guess that's uh, we, we are having a bit of a cold snap at the moment, and that, that's maybe a, a slight shock to the system. Yeah, it's all right. We're used to it. Yeah, we both quite like the cold as well. So <laughs> just just uh, as long as we've got the right clothing, that's that's all good. And we were also just talking before um, you got in, Steve, about the Have a Go Row yesterday and, um, and and doing that. So November 19, you think, that uh, yeah, you, so you first did that. Well, what, what was the sort of thought process? Did you just <laughs> like speak the week before, shall we go down to this? Or had you been talking about challenges? How, how did you get no, there? I mean, we had already signed up to row across the Atlantic. So, so that was probably August, September time. We'd paid our deposit. So we'd committed to rowing across the Atlantic um far long before november came along and then i said to pete look i've just seen a poster advertising have a go at row sessions at the rowing club we really should go down there and learn to row so we we went down there and somebody must have said something because somebody knew what we were up to and uh so so the the lady that was organizing it and a tread ant kind of knew what we were up to and then uh yeah that was our first foray into into rowing coastal rowing we were put in a boat with with two others and a cox, and that was our first session of mm-hmm. rowing. So we did about two or three weeks in a in a fours boat, and that was it. We locked down then, and uh, the next time we went rowing was in a solos boat. February. A few months later, yeah. February, yeah, in, in twenty twenty. So it was nice to be down there yesterday and to see a how popular it was. I think they had nine boats, so that's kind of you know forty people that were down there having a go at rowing. So, you know, if they can increase their membership by 40 possible potential rowers in a year, that's that's great. We won't take full credit. And and with the, um, uh, uh, looking at them, the, the, the how you got to do this, Pete, was uh, the, the idea. I mean, I, I've just learned for the first time that you paid the deposit yeah. before you um, 
got in a boat, um, and, and and so you know who who yeah. suggested to, yeah, to who and 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 um, that, oh, what, yeah. how did that come about? I'll solely put the blame with uh, with Steve on this one. Uh, yeah. it, it came about by Steve sending me an email one evening, which. Uh, I kind of read with a combination of excitement and absolute horror where he's kind of putting this proposal to row the Atlantic to me, but equally spelling out what's involved in terms of cost, um, time away from family, time away from work. Uh, so that was uh, some huge considerations. Uh, luckily, the, uh, the family and the work agreed fairly quickly and that left us kind of working out how we were going to fund the whole thing. And also, you know, the fact we both hadn't been in a rowing boat before we kind of had to uh, learn to row as well, which is kind of how the Have A Go Row came about. Um, but yeah, so it all came about by Steve sending me an email. I was quickly convinced and um, then we got our heads together. And for the first time, because we've, we've done events before, but for the first time we had to learn to operate um, kind of from the admin point of view as well, as well as the physical side. So we had to kind of become project managers and uh, I'll say finance experts and, and kind of everything because um, the project involves a lot. And Steve, you, um, were, you, were you knocking on an open door in your, in your approach to your, your prospective partner um, there? You had chosen from a, a cast of thousands of applicants. Was that how it worked? <laughs> he was the first choice, and uh, I couldn't think of anybody else. The biggest uh, network. Yeah, there's not a huge, <laughs> yeah, it's not a huge uh, group to choose from that I thought I could get along with for 54 days at sea. Sure, and it, it's obviously a, a very... Um, inspiring for people um, to the, you, you you know they were um they were out on the water with with you steve yesterday i've seen the uh, seen the pictures and we've we've got after a 26 year gap i think from somebody from jersey rowing the atlantic we've got uh, a crew coming up this this december um i've, I've heard talk that potentially they're, they're not going to be the uh, the last ones you you're quite um, excited to to see that you, you you might be setting a bit of a trend, or are you you're going to have people's partners who are being left behind coming back saying, "What well, look what you've got my husband or wife into." That's that's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we're, we're we were surprised when we it, it's been on my list for a long time, and Pete's followed the race as well. But um, we were quite surprised, and I suppose possibly disappointed that it had been 20 odd years since the last rowers from Jersey. I mean, we're surrounded by wonderful waters and great places to train. Um, it was a shame that nobody had rowed it in between the, the sort of, you know, there's three or four chaps that had rowed, or more than that, three or four teams that had rowed back in sort of 97 and then 2001. And then it was a big old gap. So hopefully we'll have another couple of years where we're people are sort of showing interest and, and taking part because it's it's a positively life-changing experience so it's uh, yeah I think get involved we, we've just proven that two normal people with no rowing experience can get this done as a two-year project so you know if we can anybody can sure and uh, looking following the race from afar Pete we've um you know mainly via the website and the tracker and it became uh, um a, a yeah, because some, something of a part of the daily routine for for us back here on um, dry land. And I, I spoke to your wife about, uh, you know, she, she would t tend to wake up at four o'clock and yeah. wouldn't get back to sleep unless she'd check the uh, the 4 a.m. update uh, for that. It, it, but it, it came across as being um, uh, well-organised. They've, they've obviously um, had a few 
rodeos, um, the ta- the Talisker Whiskey Challenge. W- w- was the organisation something that helped two people like you yeah. who hadn't rode, you know, get from um, from zero to hero in a, in a couple of years? Yeah, the, uh, the I mean, there's two ways of, of rowing the Atlantic, and that was kind of an early part of the decision process for us. You can do it as part of a an organised race like um, like the race we did, or you can kind of do it outside of the race. Um, doing it as part of the race is probably more expensive, but comes with the sort of uh, organisation. So you, you you are, I guess, in inverted commas, safer, uh, and and you know got some you know a level of um kind of um, assistance you can call upon if, if things go wrong. Uh, if you do it kind of outside of the race, you know there's a lot more risks attached to it. So you know since we have we're, you know we're both uh, family men and you know have have kids you know and, and wives, we decided and you know, we we very much wanted to do it do it the first way uh, the, the race organization itself is, is excellent you know you've got a lot of criteria you need to meet before you can even get out there you've got qualifying rowing you need to do you've got uh, pre-inspections on the boat and all the equipment you've got a lot of stuff you need to do when you get to spain another inspection and so uh you know people testing you on how to use your equipment You've got to go and do mandatory courses, which we did a year ago, um, which was a, a week long, quite intensive in sea survival, navigation, um, uh, and all sorts of other kind of relevant topics. So there's a lot involved, and yeah, we were kind of very happy with the you know the, the race organisers. And um, whilst we were on our own out there, we were putting in kind of you know every other day satellite calls to the race organisers to let them know we were okay and sort of talk through any issues we may have been having. And uh, from just tracking back to my memory of following it, a, um, uh, a reasonably uh, positive um, and not too many problems over your first couple of weeks and, and Christmas Day, okay, and then suddenly um, things started yeah. to get really quite difficult uh, after yeah, so that. So the f- first two weeks we were learning to row the Atlantic, really learning about the conditions. Um, it was as, as much as we rowed here... The conditions are completely different, um, a lot calmer, uh, a lot more predictable. Uh, so the first two weeks, um, we, you know, we did have some some interesting weather. It was a bit wild at times, but we could row in it, and we were sort of very much learning how to do it. But, um, yeah, come Christmas Day, uh, we, we had some significant weather. We were further north, I believe, than the rest of the fleet, and uh, we got kind of um, some low-pressure systems, and we, we, we took the brunt of some four days of uh, sustained bad weather and were, was pretty much stuck still for four days and you're actually confined to quarters as well you, you it's not uh, you, you you basically couldn't couldn't go out is that right steve pretty much i mean you could go out on the deck uh, if you went on the deck you'd be getting thrown all over the boat and you'd be getting soaked with waves that were crashing over the top so if you went on deck you'd end up soaked in seawater which you don't really want, um, and it was just pretty petrifying, to be honest, sitting out there looking at what was coming towards you and wondering which wave is going to be the one to sink you, or capsize you at least. Or you could stay in the tiny little cabin, which was hot, stuffy, airless and uncomfortable. Um, and we both kind of alternated. There wasn't really much room for two people in there, so Pete would go on the deck and I would be able to stretch out, and then uh, we'd, we'd alternate. But ultimately, we ended up spending so much time lying down, just wishing the hours away and being quite annoyed that we were being overtaken and we were losing ground and um, that we ended up, you know, you're getting bed sores on your heels and your, your shoulder blades from lying on the 
quite a sort of coarse mattress because it's quite sort of um, durable fabric, but not very comfortable to, to lie on for long periods of time. No, sure. And during during that um, four days, was, was a uh, did did that wave or did you think that wave had actually come and was going to take you over? Um, yeah, uh, I mean, it felt when we were in the cabin, it, it felt like someone with a sledgehammer was kind of banging the side of the boat, and, and these were relatively smaller waves uh so that this sledgehammer sound would be fairly consistent and just every now and then we just get a mighty whack um from a larger wave and you know the boat would significantly kind of tip um never to the point where we really felt we were going to capsize but um you know it's pretty scary at the time it often sounded worse yeah. inside the cabin than what you'd experience sitting on the deck uh you know if you were rowing you you'd see it come in or you, you know you'd feel it but if you're in the cabin you almost heard it sort of approaching like a like a train mm. well i know that, that, that there was one wasn't there where i think you were outside and mm. i was in yeah that was and scary. i think that's probably the closest we got yeah yeah, yeah and the boat went right over you, right you side. Used your body weight didn't you to, yeah, yeah try and keep the boat from going over and uh, it, presumably, the, there's a um, you had to be ready at this stage. So that the, there is there's there's a drill. There's a is there a, a grab bag or is there that some, something that you're you're trained and uh, as ready as you can be that if if you do go over yeah. that you 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 know what to do. How would that have worked? Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean we we weren't really trained in something you hadn't really practiced. We are connected to the boat, so we've got a three point sort of harness, so mm. we're tethered to the boat. If the boat does go over, we're not going to drift away from it, which is good. But it's still very worrying to know that you're going over. It's a 1,200-kilo boat with oars swinging around. There's kit on there. There's, there's a lot of potential for injury. And if, you're, if you can't actually physically get more than a metre away from it, you're now upside down, under the boat, in a big wave, getting hit by everything and anything that's mm -hmm. on the boat. So it's, uh, and that's something that you couldn't really practice. So you do kind of think, what would happen? Thankfully, we never had to experience that. Our boat's very stable. That's its fifth crossing without a capsize, apparently. And if you were ever, if you were ever in doubt about um, the uh, back, the backup of the having the um, the, the race organisers, and, and not that they were sort of there was a boat, you know rescue boat alongside you or, or you know anything like that, but when you heard about the um, fight or die crew, the American crew who had to abandon, which I think was during that Christmas to New Year yeah. period. Um, I, I guess that news reached uh, you guys, or, or were they sort of keeping it from you? To I, I mean, I actually heard. I think we heard via our partners, by our wives, uh, you know, because we were in touch with people via WhatsApp, and we, you know, we, we heard that they had capsized, and thankfully they had been picked up and rescued. Um, it, it's a sobering thought, but you know, the reality out there. Uh, is you know the you're out of control with kind of everything that's going on. The, you know the the ocean's kind of got its own design and what it wants to do, and uh, we had to kind of accept that early on. So you know we 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 got to know all of the teams in Lagomera, including the fight or die uh, chaps. So we were just um, you know really pleased to hear they were both all, all four of them were safe and had been rescued. Uh, and uh, you know and, and uh, from what I understand, in situations like those, the the vessel was kind of left. Uh, and it gets recovered when it gets washed up somewhere later on. 
Yeah, sure. And, and from that, um, getting out the other side of the about four days, is that right? That you were r- days, really yeah. in um, up against it and confined to quarters for lots of that. Uh, I, I guess the, the, that was perhaps the most extreme. But you also you seem to um, have a, a fair few number of technical issues. So it was um, uh, the, there weren't actually that many periods of, of plane sailing. There was, there was usually something to keep you uh, keep you focused. Is that right? Yeah, uh, the main issues where we had an early issue with our water maker which was fairly continuous uh our water maker was an older model uh whilst it had been serviced and it very much worked it um the water intake uh was through the hull of the boat and so as we were going along invariably bumpy waters we'd get airlocks and it would you know mean the water maker would stop working unless we were kind of um sort of removing those airlocks which was hard to do in the conditions we were in so we had to resort to a manual water pump for the for the majority of the race which meant manual pumping as well as manual rowing so that was quite exhausting and then we had secondary issues with our gps so again most of the race when we were out of sight of land um we would keep losing signal which basically meant we were kind of operating off a a manual compass and um never really knew exactly where we were um which was a challenge so i think they were pretty much a the main two challenges we had and having um, some contact with uh, other craft you, you you had one of the other competitors i think um, pretty much uh, alongside you and and then on a different scale the um the ocean cruise liner the, the, those I, I guess the, um having flashes of uh, company having been alone for so much uh, certainly when i when i spoke to pete before he was saying that that was uh, uh, a, a, a high point steve would you uh, yeah agree? absolutely it's it's funny you do these things to get away from people and then you're quite excited when you see them um but uh, yeah the cruise ship was definitely a high point and and uh, yeah almost physically bumping into our competitors so another pairs team in the open class they were you know we were neck and neck with them f- on you know for a, a, about a month and we came to within about 30 or 40 meters of them which is just it's kind of unheard of to meet up 2,000 miles in the middle of the Atlantic. But we did, uh, yeah, we, we were able to see them and shout to them, and, and uh, when they were too far away, we'd revert to the VHF radio and have a chat. And that um, created a, uh, you, you talked about meeting the other crews in La Gomera and uh, I guess a selection of them um, uh, in Antigua um, as well, the ones who arrived either just before or just, just after you. Um, is, is, uh, I guess it's a, a sort of small elite, but, but community, community you'll, you'll always have that uh, link, um, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. With all these races that we've done, that's, that's kind of why we do it, I suppose. It's, um, you know, you make some great friends and, and what you often do is you meet quite inspirational people that are doing other things as well. So that's how you get down this rabbit hole. You, uh, you sort of do an ultramarathon and you meet a load of people that are doing longer ultramarathons so they tell you about it and it sparks a little uh, um, interest so you start looking at these things. I mean, we were, we were chatting to some amazingly inspirational people in Lagomera, um, like Bernie Hollywood who's still out there rowing now, you know, 66-year-old chap I think he is. That's, you know, he's been North Pole, South Pole and 8,000 metre mountains and he's, he's still out there rowing now. So you, you do, you meet some, some amazing people doing some amazing things. And you'll be still tuned in, I, I guess, Pete, until we talked about following the, the, the radar now, just uh, three um, solo rowers still out there. And um, I, I guess 
uh, hoping that they're going to um, make it across in, in due course. They've still got a, yeah. a few weeks to go, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you've got Linda, uh, Bernie, who Steve just mentioned, and I believe Lara. Um, uh, so you've got three of them out there. I think Lara's 350 miles to go now, so she'll be the next in. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's exciting following them. And, you know, uh, as I say, it's um, they're all really inspirational people. And, you know, to be doing this kind of monumental challenge on your own, um, it's something else you know Steve and I obviously both experienced 54 days of it and we at least had each other you know each other to keep company um but yeah it's hard to imagine quite sort of doing it on your own particularly for 85 days plus and we we touched on your um rowing experience or lack of mm-hmm. um we, you were just reflecting on some of the technical challenges that you have are, are either of you um DIY whizzes or in terms of get, get, getting out with the screwdriver and well, doing things because I, 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 you, you, yeah. you you had to work with, do stuff on the hoof didn't you yeah, well, we, we had a, we had an honest chat about this in in Spain and I, I said to Steve that you know if I'm definitely not a DIY person I said I'll <laughs> I'll certainly do my best so Steve knew he had all the pressure on him straight away to, to fix anything and I'd I'd be a, a willing and able assistant if needed and I think that's pretty much uh, I'll let Steve jump in here yeah no I mean it's uh, <laughs> you know I've always been quite honest I'm not the most practical of chaps um, but I'm a lot more practical than Pete <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know I'm, I'm fairly hands-on in work so I work with our maintenance guys so I'm fairly sort of pragmatic and, and can figure most things out so um, yeah that, that was quite a responsibility to have actually I knew that was falling on my shoulders so it was, it was a bit to sort of carry knowing that everything was breaking down and that I think is just life at sea you know it, uh, I, I believe that I don't think there was anything special about us or we, I don't think we were unlucky I think that is genuinely just what happens at yeah. sea for weeks on end is that things corrode and things break um, but yeah we, we managed to fix what we could and, and make do and MacGyver they you know uh, what, what we could do what we needed to do to get through but yeah, it's 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 interesting, and we always sort of laugh about it. So when you when you've got lots of spares, you've got four auto tillers, you're kind of a little bit careless with them. You know, oh, it's okay, we've got four of them, we'll be okay. When you're down to one and a half, you start treating them like your little child, your, your yeah. baby girl, you know, and yeah. you're sort of handing them to each other. And I think we ended up sleeping with the auto yeah, tillers yeah. just so they could be protected by us at night. <laughs> And we, were you able to uh, obviously you, you you were of the crew you were you were the the, the lead man on maintenance day. did did you have support from elsewhere in terms of asking people via messages to say look I can't um, I can't fix this what would you recommend um, is there some backup there Yeah I mean uh, when the auto tillers broke so these are, are a mechanical device that'll help us to steer I was on the phone to the company in the UK, Ray Marine. Um, I'd spoken to the guys in America and they couldn't help me, so they put me onto the guys in the UK. Uh, and they'd sort of, you know, I'd say, look, I've taken it apart. I'm looking at a circuit board. There's a little bit that's burnt out to the right of the screen. Oh, that's not good, he'd say. So he'd sort of talk me through what he could, but it was, it was still very difficult because you're doing this in, in a 40-degree cabin. The hatches are closed. You've got no air. Um, you've got a head torch on. You're trying to sort of take apart and dismantle uh, a, a motor or a circuit board for a piece of equipment you've never seen before um, you know and you're, you're sweating in there because it's so hot and your hands are everything sweating onto the electrical equipment you're trying to fix and repair uh, so it wasn't easy but I, I quite enjoyed that side of it and then we were um, again following remotely there seemed to be a sort of 
uh, a spell from seven, eight hundred miles to go to to two, three, where where perhaps there was there was it, it was things were um, maybe a, a little easier, and then you, you you had a bit of a sting in the tail over the last uh, the last few days. Was was that was that particularly difficult because you you knew how close you were, or or was it the fact that we've 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 got eighty percent of the race in the in 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 the bag where we're okay? How was that we, last yeah, week? Or so? I mean, the, the final. I think when we got through. I don't know a thousand miles to go um i you know we were conscious of what we'd been doing before then which seemed to be averaging quite a healthy 50 miles a day and i think we both then got it into our head you know we we're trying to work out okay you know there's a thousand to go that's x days left and you know it did seem to be for that big chunk of the race um from a thousand all the way down to 200 to go that we hit some really slow conditions and we didn't really have a whole lot of assistance really with us you know no wind um certainly currents not helping us and we were doing i don't know very slow progress wasn't it like anything from 40 miles down to 25 and it it became sort of quite frustrating um kind of you know certainly from a thousand down to 150 200 to go yeah it was a real yeah it was a real kick in the teeth really because we we um we lost gps signal uh, our weather router was kind of um, he, he was in touch with us, but we he was focused on three teams or four teams, um, and we got blown south a lot. So they were telling us to sort of head north, head north, and we were heading north. And they kept saying, "Keep heading north, keep doing what you're doing," which we were. It's only when we sort of got GPS back about three days later that we saw we had been blown a long way south and would really have to battle to get north again. Uh, and we saw our estimated finish date. So it was the 1st of February, and all of a sudden it moved to the 10th or 11th of February. And that was horrendous. That was somebody moving the goalposts massively, mm-hmm. especially when you knew that your family were already in Antigua waiting for you to arrive in a couple of days. And all of a sudden you're like, right, now they're going to be back in Jersey before we arrive. Um, and, and we've also got to carry on rowing for another 10 or 11 days. Um, but then things moved in our favour, and we, we managed to sort of get that finish date down to the what, 4th or 5th of February. Yeah. But yeah, that that was horrible. It took us days, I, I think days emotionally to get over that. That somebody had moved the goalposts so far. And no nobody had moved the goalposts. It was, we, we just it was just the weather and tide had, had taken us south and we needed to battle again to get north. But um that was really frustrating. And on the um the, the Saturday night, uh, Sunday morning here, I'm ashamed to say I, I I had set an alarm for something like five o'clock because that was the latest estimate and uh i i was an hour late so i i'm sorry i i i, 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 I missed you on the live but I'd, I'd like to think there was a certain level of uh, uh very basic commitment um there and um you you could go back and watch it so i did by you know i was was able to to watch as live um there and um the the interviews on arrival um uh, Pete Lawn Bowles um, uh, was, uh, was 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 mentioned. Um, have, have you been? Uh, I, I guess the season's uh, starting in a, a few uh, yeah. few weeks' time. You you all set for that? I've actually not managed to get down there yet, but I, I have a, have inadvertently entered a hundred mile race for January next year, like a running one. So my whole Lawn Bowles prediction has fallen by the wayside a, a little bit. 
As everybody else knew it would, except for Pete. <laughs> and Steve, uh, from from my memory of that recording, you you were you were um, uh, well. Uh, you've just pointed out that Steve was uh, making a claim that is now not true. But um, you, you you were um, uh, you were you weren't making any claims at all. You were being rather cagey at that point. As uh, as anything moved on in that direction, my wife was present. <laughs> um, I've I've got a couple of bits. I've got a, a couple of races sort of this year, but. Um, no, I'd I'd like to I'd like to row again. Okay, but your your the races you're planning are, are, are going to be on on your on your legs. Um, yes, the, the yeah, yeah, ones. yeah. Cycling and uh, is a triathlon as well as. And we we, we saw at the end of the um, uh, race that uh, you had a boat for sale. Is it still for sale? It's not. No, we've just recently sold. Uh, yeah, we, well, we've, we've we uh, should have the we, deposit today. Yeah, exactly. We've uh, agreed on a on a sale. So we are waiting for the deposit today, and then hopefully um, we'll be with the new owners. Uh, in a month's time, Grant, can we ask where they are? They're in the UK, okay. so they'll be they'll be planning to do the the race, I believe, in twenty twenty four. So with excitement, we'll be able to watch um, Sonia Atlantico do its sixth crossing. Yeah, excellent, um, and and I'm sure. Um, one of the other things to focus on, you, you you were raising funds for, for for causes. That's that's something clearly was was quite a big uh, mm-hmm. a big part of this. Uh, um, how, how did that? come about and um uh, are you um uh are you sort of pleased with how that's gone yeah uh we, we're raising for two uh two local causes we've got mcmillan jersey and um durrell wildlife conservation trust uh came about really we um you know we both had family members impacted by a cancer diagnosis so hence mcmillan and uh uh, Daryl, Steve, and I've supported before uh back when we did the amazon um uh, ultra marathon back in 2015 uh, so we felt there was a kind of a lot of synergy with the challenge we were doing, and 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 the specific cause we've uh, fundraised for Durrell. Um and so far so good. You know we've uh, we, we've got an active fundraising page which is we're still trying to get donations to. Uh, we're going to put 100% of the sale proceeds from the boat to the charities as well, and we're also hoping to generate some funds from some uh, motivational talks uh, and some public speaking events. So. We're still optimistic that we can kind of reach our sort of fundraising goal of between forty and fifty thousand pounds to be shared equally between both charities. Brilliant. So people who have been um, uh, reading the interview uh, with JP, watching the, um, sorry, listening to the Baylook Express podcast, uh, and sort of wanting to hear more from you, or they've got their own questions for you, there are going to be some some events where um, they can come out and and hear from you and and fire some uh, fire some questions. Absolutely, yeah. And just also to, uh, wanted to um, f- focus just a tiny bit on the the, the comm side. We, we we spoke when we, you were in Antigua, Pete, about uh, how you'd um, been able to keep in, in touch. Uh, you, your social media was being run by a former Atlantic rower. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we 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 was put in touch with a, a chap. He, he tends to run the social media campaigns for a select number of teams per year uh, we quickly got in touch and um kind of became one of his teams for for the year we did it uh and he was absolutely amazing uh, we had the responsibility of giving him a bit of content uh, both before the row and during so we had what is called a began uh when we were out on the boat so it's like a portable router so we were able to connect to the internet that way and use whatsapp to send sort of basic images and some compressed video back to barry but uh, outside of that, Barry has rode the ocean, I believe, once or twice before. He's, he's an expert 
in in the subject matter of ocean rowing. So he was able to take what we'd given him and he, he was very clued up on what was going on in the race on a day-by-day basis and he was able to put together some just amazing content to, to share across um, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. And I sense that although none of these pictures actually saw the light of day on uh, social media because there are guidelines and things that uh, prevent people doing that, I, I, I have the impression that he may have had to sift through some uh, some, some somewhat um, candid uh, shots involving not much clothing before he could actually find some things that would be printed. Uh, Steve, you're, you're, you're shaking your head in a sort of way that suggests I'm on the money there. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was never any clothing, really. It's um, <laughs> My wife phoned up and uh, or WhatsApp and said, I'm fed up of seeing photos of your bum in the paper and I said well A I didn't know the photos were being taken so you need to speak to Pete about that and and B it's not like I'm getting undressed for these images they're just that's how I always am yeah, Steve, Steve needed a um, little encouragement to take his clothes off I think we were half an hour into the challenge and off they came <laughs> and so the the, um, the, the the budgie smugglers that you were wearing on arrival in Antigua that I felt that- overdressed Brilliant. Well, it, um, it's been. Uh, I'm um, relieved to see you, um, uh, two fully dressed interviewees, and and a fully dressed interviewer today. Um, and and just um, uh, finally, with you guys, just on the the overall um, experience, you you've you've had this in your mind for for a while. Can it? Can you? Do you have spells when you stop and can't quite believe that it happened, or or was was eight weeks of it? quite enough to, for you never to forget that it that it did happen i'm not sure for me it's um there's been no there's been no sort of um sometimes after a race or something you've been focusing on for a long long time when it's over you sort of you know there's there's a gap there's a void what how do you fill that and you feel a bit down you feel a bit lost uh, i haven't really had any of that i haven't had any overriding sort of feelings of emotion uh, i do tend, my, tend to find myself gazing out to sea a fair bit um, which is which is great. I, I'm actually missing the water. I'm being I'm missing being out on the water. I'm missing being at sea. I found it an environment that I, I felt quite, quite comfortable in and enjoyed life at sea. So that that's why I'd certainly look to do it again. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of that's that's the overriding emotion I have is that I, I miss being at sea. And but yeah. Pete, from your from your side, and also maybe maybe touching on the fact of of some of the the. Uh, uh, the, the, there were a couple of um, training training ground um, problems last summer, which I think when we spoke in Antigua, you you said that uh, well, a, a weren't quite as bad as they were reported. Yeah. Um, not not not. I'm I'm turning on the media here, but also, <laughs> but perhaps acted as a bit of a bit of motivation. Yeah, uh, I, w- I guess I'll start with that one. Yeah, we had um, we had to do a, a number of qualifying hours rowing, and uh, Steve and I did actually find it quite difficult, you know, with work commitments to to find a time we could both go out on the boat, and then you've got the unpredictability of uh, the conditions and whether you can you can actually do it. So we we decided to go out one bank holiday weekend in May. Uh, the conditions probably weren't the best, but we 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 went for it anyway, and we ended up getting stuck on sea anchor as a wind present pre- prevented us rowing back to Jersey. Um, so we, we basically knew we had to get back for work. We didn't, couldn't really afford to stay out there for five or six days, which is what it would have been. Um, so we just put a call in requesting a, a tow back from any passing vessel, you know, in, in the next day or so, uh, just to enable us to get back to work. And that ended up being a, uh, an R&I pickup because they were the nearest in the vicinity and um, it got 
perhaps reported that we were rescued at sea and we had a a few negative comments on the back of that about whether we were really prepared to take on the challenge we were about to do. Uh, but we, yeah, we took that as motivation. Um, you know, we, we, we took the comments tongue in cheek, didn't take them too seriously, but we also took it as motivation to um, prove a few people wrong, which I, I think is what we did. Uh, and it sort of goes to show that, you know, nothing is impossible. And uh, on reflection, mm-hmm. that sort of 36 hours that yeah. we had on Power Anchor, off the west coast of Jersey in a 4-6 was mm. probably the best, single best training yeah. session that we did in preparation for what we were about to sort of uh, take on. So on day two when we were in the Atlantic and we were going down sort of 15, 20 foot waves and having waves crashing all over the boat, uh, you know, we, we were felt well prepared, probably a lot better prepared than many of the other teams that were, were enduring the same conditions. Well, it's been um, inspirational to uh, to hear uh, uh, about it all. Um, you, you've got somebody sat here who's never rode, who yeah, was, had, has wandered with a couple of uh, um, contemporaries whether whether Sark might be manageable. So um, um, it's it's provided uh, f- food and fuel for thought. So if that's not a, not a contradiction, it's been uh, great to hear from you, um, Steve Hayes and Pete Wright. Thanks to Pete and Steve for coming in to chat to us about the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. Pete and Steve are still raising money for the Durrell Wildlife Conservation Trust and Macmillan Cancer Support, and you can donate on their sports giving page. Don't forget to visit bailiwickexpress.com or to pick up a copy of the Jersey Evening Post. <laughs>